Amen. Thanks, Stuart. Well, good morning. Uh, last week, Stuart kicked us off with a, uh, a new series titled Reset, uh, Rethinking Attitudes. And as part of that series today, we're going to be looking at uh, forgiveness and uh, picking out a few things that Jesus said about forgiveness. Um, and I want to kick off today by sharing a scripture with you that's, that's titled um, Jesus Heals a Paralyzed Man. And it's, it's taken from the book of um, Mark, chapter 2. Um, and just before we look at it, the backstory to these verses are that Jesus has been around Capernaum, uh, which is in sort of heading up in the north of Israel uh, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And he's been um, teaching in at least one synagogue um, where he cast out an impure spirit in front of, uh, uh, of everyone. And news was spreading quickly about him uh, over the whole region. And, and, and Jesus has then healed people of sicknesses and diseases and demonic um, possession and of leprosy. Um, and at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Mark, um, Mark notes that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, it says. Um, so Mark records the account of Jesus forgiving and healing a paralyzed man um, like this. A few days later, um, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached, to the, word, preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God. And they were saying, we've never seen anything like this at all. Well, what a stir Jesus is causing. Healing, casting out demons, and, and now not only healing a paralyzed man, but claiming he can forgive sins. When he, the crowd, the teachers of the time knew um, that only God can forgive sins. Jesus was claiming to be God. And because he claimed to be God, I want to pick just three of the many attributes of God um, to highlight why these teachers of the time um, may have had an issue with Jesus declaring he had the authority to forgive sins and that he was God. Because the teachers of the law were aghast um, at Jesus' audacious claims to have the same rights as the authority of God to forgive sins. Uh, for those legally minded teachers falsely claiming um, God's attributes was blasphemy. Um, and they couldn't understand how Jesus could be God, so they accused him in their hearts of blasphemy. So here are three attributes, of probably infinite amount of attributes, that in claiming to be God, Jesus um, would be claiming for himself. And I'm sure you can think of many more yourself, but um, I'm going to take three. And the first of these attributes is, is God as creator. And from the very first verses in Genesis... Um, we can see 
uh, the account of creation. The first line of the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there we see God creating time in the beginning. Space, the heavens. Matter, the earth. God's creativity flowing in making all things throughout the six days of, of creation. And then in Deuteronomy, right in the heart of the Ten Commandments, it says this, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and rested on the seventh day. The teachers of the time understood God as their creator, the one who spoke and universes were formed, that spoke and the earth was formed, and spoke and the sun was formed, uh, that spoke and water and animals and air and time and everything was formed. And uh, God reveals himself as creator, and Jesus said, he's God. He's the very creator of earth, on earth, in human form. That was challenging for the teachers of the time. The second attribute of God I want to speak about briefly is that God is holy. And when you look back at scriptures in what we call the Old Testament, God revealed himself uh, in, in these places as holy, pure, undefiled, undefilable, powerful. And this holy God cannot bear sin. So much that in the time of Noah, when God saw so much wickedness in the world and so much wickedness and uh, unholiness in the hearts of men, that the Bible says he was grieved uh, in his heart. So much he sent a flood that wiped out all of humanity, except for one family whose father Noah had found grace in the eyes of God. And then later on in the Bible, as God is continuing to reveal his holiness to the Jewish people, at that time, they realize there's only one way they can approach him at that time, and that's through the temple priest. And God's so holy that just being in his presence in the wrong way would kill the temple priest. The presence of God was in the tabernacle of uh, the temple inside another room called the Holy of Holies. And that was a distinct place in the center of the temple. And the, the priests went through purification rituals and they made sacrifices and they dressed in certain ways um, that were instructed. And, and then, even then, they would only walk into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence, uh, one day of the year, on a very specific day appointed by God. And even then, on top of all of that, the others in the temple would tie a rope around his ankle to drag his dead body out if something went wrong in the presence of God. And in that Holy of Holies, was the, in, in the temple, was the Ark of the Covenant. And most people have only heard of it through the, the Indiana Jones films, but the Bible tells of its existence. On, on, and in it were various items, like the, the blocks of stone the Ten Commandments were written on, and a couple of it, other items from other accounts in the Bible. Um, Aaron's staff that budded, um, and, and a pot of manna or bread from heaven that fed the Israelites. And um, covering the ark was something called the mercy seat, a lid covered in gold where the priests put the blood of the animal sacrifices and where the very presence of God hovered. God revealed himself as holy. Jesus is saying he's God. He is the God whose presence was hovering above the ark of the covenant in the Old Testament temple. A third aspect that would have been very strong in the culture of the time is a concept as God as judge of all people. And it's a really um, 
uh, unpopular topic to talk about judging anything. Yet when Jesus speaks, he claims to be able to forgive sins. And Jesus says he has the authority to forgive sins and then proved it in front of everyone with a miracle. He was claiming to be able to blot out people's sins or transgressions. He was claiming to literally be able to remove things that God has against people. And then back in the, in the parable, the teacher of the law um, said, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And in claiming to be able to forgive sins, Jesus was declaring him as a judge whose judgments were equivalent to the judgments of God. In the same way as Jesus forgives sins then, I believe he's saying the same to us today. I am your God. Your sins are forgiven. And more than that, his call to the man back then is as relevant now as it was then, the call to get up and walk. And I believe his call to us today is to live in the reality that he is God. He forgives and he frees us up to get up and walk. And I'm wondering what, what, what would happen if that man had just lay there uh, after Jesus had told him his sins were forgiven. And what if he just lay there when Jesus said, get up and walk? He didn't. Probably because he was desperate enough to be taken and lowered through a roof to Jesus. He was a desperate man after understanding that without Jesus, he had no hope. Uh, without Jesus, his situation wasn't going to change. And most of all, without realistic actions to make changes and trusting Jesus, he wasn't going to get anywhere in life where people wouldn't carry him. And it seems so often it's the same with us. We think we're fine, plodding along, but we never actually realize there's a holy God that we fall short of. There's a go holy God that without forgiveness of sins, we would die in the presence of. A holy God who calls us to get up and walk with him. And just as Jesus first saw the, the man's sins before he forgave him of his sins, in his holiness and judgment, we also see God wants us to move from under judgment and into a place of freedom and forgiveness and living with his presence in a way that only people that are forgiven by him can live. Let's go back into that uh, temple in the Old Testament. Um, there the presence of God was separated from the people because he was so holy and they were so sinful that barely ever could the two meet in the Holy of Holies, where only one man could go once a year, separated by this huge veil so thick and interwoven with gold that it could never be ripped until one day. And Matthew records that as he died on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks split and graves were opened uh, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Forgiveness on the cross. His blood poured out on the cross. Jesus said poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the curtain torn in two. That curtain that protected everyone from God's presence was ripped because through Jesus we aren't repelled from God's presence. Yeah, we're called into it. Yeah, called into a life that's so radically different than ever seen anywhere else before. That way into the Holy of Holies was opened, symbolizing that the presence of God through Jesus was open to mankind again. Can you see how forgiveness and the presence of God go together? You cannot have one without the other. Jesus' forgiveness ushered in the presence of God into the world. 
And that's great, right? We're, we're forgiven and we, we get the presence of God in our lives. It's amazing. And one more time, let's go back to the Ark of the Covenant, as uh, we described earlier, um, with the mercy seat on top and an, uh, an angel or cherubim at, uh, at each end of the Ark of the Covenant, looking down on the, on the mercy seat where the blood of the sacrifice um, were, were, was put as a symbol for the forgiveness of sins, where the presence of God hovered over the Ark. And um, hold in your mind, if you will, the picture of the angels on each end of the mercy seat looking down as witnesses of the bloodshed on the mercy seat. And while you hold that picture, I want to take you to the book of John in the New Testament, chapter 20, to the tomb. And John writes this, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. Do you see the similarity? The Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of the Holies. The two angels looking down, witnessing the blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of sins to allow one person into God's presence. And Mary found at the tomb the probably blood-stained rock where Jesus was laid after he died. The angels at the head and foot of the rock that he was laid on. Could it be that the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant is a prophetic picture of the death of Jesus? With time, we could go far deeper into this, but for now, I just want to show you that mercy, forgiveness, has always been on God's heart. He designed it into creation. He designed it into the life of the Jews, all pointing the way, all foreshadows of Jesus. Arguably, the holiest and most sought-after artifact in the whole of history, the Ark of the Covenant, simply points to Jesus. Point, all points to Jesus. It points to God in his holiness being present with people again, not in an old way, but in a better way, a way that didn't just reveal God's presence to one man once a year, but to all men and all women around the world if they chose to grasp the forgiveness Jesus offers, to be born again and to enjoy God's presence once again through his Holy Spirit. When you have the forgiveness, you can stand in his presence. No forgiveness. No standing in his presence. So to summarize where we are up till now, Jesus claimed to be God, the creator, the pure and holy God who was judge of all mankind. And we've seen in the presence of God, the Old Testament, in um, uh, the, the glory of God hovering over the mercy seat and showing that without forgiveness we should fear the presence of God, but with forgiveness we can stand in his presence. And I want to move forward with this and look um, at a few instances that Jesus speaks about uh, forgiveness and how Jesus links forgiveness with God with our forgiveness for others. So how Jesus links forgiveness by God to our forgiveness with others. And for me, this is where it gets a little tougher, maybe a bit uncomfortable. Because if what Jesus is saying is true, then I think we need to look radically at forgiveness. Because for me, Jesus takes it to a whole new level. Um, here's a few examples uh, uh, of what I mean. Let's take um, uh, the Lord's Prayer. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Jesus included a line in, uh, in, in the Lord's Prayer that says this. 
and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus, on the face of it in the Lord's Prayer, is saying that we will get forgiveness from God to the level that we've forgiven others. No forgiveness of others. No forgiveness for us. Can you see how dangerous unforgiveness is? I'll move on. Jesus told a parable in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it goes like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master um, took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he has. So, we can see the master forgives the servant his debt. Therefore, the servant should forgive others their debts. Jesus connects our forgiveness by God to our forgiveness for others. I've left the last line of this parable off on purpose. As I wanted to understand you, us all to, to pick up the gross injustice that Jesus is describing. I don't know if you can remember the last line that Jesus says. I'll put it on the screen now. Are you ready? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death and after death judgment. So when the king sent the man to prison uh, to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt, it's serious stuff because he couldn't and we can't pay for our own sin. I'll say it again. Can you see how dangerous unforgiveness is? I believe that even for the professing Christian, to have any unforgiveness is a dangerous place to be living for your soul because it will limit God at work in you and through you. A couple more instances of where Jesus connects our forgiveness by God to our forgiveness of others. 
in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And in Matthew uh, 6, verse 14, right after teaching people how to pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know how to take the punch out of Jesus' words, folks. Uh, it wouldn't be right to, but I, I found, find this profoundly challenging. Here we have God, so holy, so pure, so righteous, who wants us to stand in his presence and know him. But he also says if we don't forgive others, we can't be forgiven by God. Jesus doesn't just tell us to forgive and then leave us to uh, get on with it, trying to guess how. Jesus demonstrates his forgiveness for us. So we know how to forgive. And he does it like this. In Matthew 27, I'll, I'll summarize what Matthew writes. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They mocked him. They spat, him, spat on him. They took a staff and hit him on the head over and over again. Then they crucified him. They held insults, or insults at him and tried to make him drink vinegar and mocked him on the cross. And then Luke records, after all of this, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In dying for forgiveness for all from God, Jesus died forgiving the worst thing that people could do, to take God himself, to do all those horrific things to him, to crucify him and mock him, yet he forgave them. He died demonstrating that God forgives. And the Bible teaches... Um, uh, he, yeah, and the Bible teaches that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you and for me. And when we recognize what Jesus uh, did for us, when he, uh, what he went through, how he forgave those that physically did that to him, um, uh, and offered a way of forgiveness, the only way of forgiveness for the world to be reconciled with God, we have a choice how to respond. Are we forgiven and forgive? Or do we not forgive and remain unforgiven? Back in the original verse I read, I read um, about the man who was paralyzed and lowered through the roof. When the teachers of the law thought about Jesus' claims, the Bible tells us that Jesus responded by saying, why do you reason about these things in your heart? And it's a great question as forgiveness, like many other things in life, is a, is a heart issue. God tells us through the Bible that we are to guard our heart for out of it flows life. And we see David in the Psalms inviting God to search his heart. So I'd like to spend just a few minutes taking a practical look at what unforgiveness might look like uh, in our lives. And so just to start the process of searching and checking our hearts a little. And I'd like to work through a few symptoms of unforgiveness so we can check that all is well. And I'm not saying if you have a hundred, uh, any of these things that I'm bringing up that it's 100% that you're carrying unforgiveness. Let's see what the Holy Spirit brings up and, uh, as we look and, um, at just a few possible symptoms of hidden unforgiveness. 
So I'm just going to, I had a list of about 20. I narrowed it down to 10, and I'm going to go into about three. And I'll leave the rest up to you. I'm sure you'll all be fine anyway. The first one. Gossiping about people and criticizing people. The Bible teaches that the mouth is the overflow of the heart. And that in the tongue, there is the power of life and death. When we gossip about others, when we criticize them behind their backs, when we raise negative points and we're never really going to address them, but keep saying them, you're showing unforgiveness in your heart. It's a tough one. It's challenging. Keeping score and holding resentment. Carrying anger or bitterness for something someone did to you or to someone else. (laughs) Maybe there are things that spark your anger really quickly that on reflection shouldn't. You're carrying unforgiveness. You're easily offended. Have you ever pushed a bruise? Generally hurts, doesn't it? Well, being offended is like this. Once you're living in an offended way, it's really easy for offense to creep in. In fact, the opportunities to be offending in this world now are pretty endless. Um, You can choose to take offense at just about anything nowadays. Staying offended is a symptom of hidden unforgiveness. Staying uh, offended basically means you're carrying something in a, in a, uh, a negative way and holding something against someone else. It might not come out verbally like that. It might mean you just avoid them or walk around the other way when you see them. It's a symptom we need to deal with. Can I encourage us all to work towards being unoffendable? Can you be so secure in what God says about you that you weigh up whatever whatever others say to you and if it doesn't match up to what God says, don't take it to heart. Yeah, just let it roll off. Now, if they come back and try and offend again, you may want to explore that in more detail and try and understand why with them. Um, uh, And I'm not saying don't ever deal with issues, but don't let them continue as if nothing is happening, Um, especially immoral stuff. But Jesus said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And my tendency is I would rather forgive people privately because it keeps the peace. I'll summarize um, a a, a couple more. You feel used by people. What are you carrying if you're feeling used by people? Yeah? It might be that you reflect back back frequently on negative experiences you've had. Why are you still holding on to them? What what is there about that? Is there unforgiveness in that that means that you're, you're reflecting back to them? Here's a good one. You know that there are things you've said or done in the past to someone that was wrong, but you won't do anything about it. Why not? Why not? It's unforgiveness. Lack of the presence of God in your life. Is there something where God may just be holding back until you release forgiveness?
Lastly, you're carrying a personal pain that you struggle to let go of. And this is really important and sensitive. I know evil people can commit evil to others that don't deserve it. They've done nothing and evil has entered into their life uh, through another person and caused the pain so deep and life impacted that it leaves people reeling, often for decades. You may find yourself saying, what they did was unforgivable. I believe God would say, let him decide what's unforgivable. With all your heart, try to forgive. And the times the unbearable pain raises up, forgive. And when things make you remember what happened, forgive. Pray they are unrepeatable rather than unforgivable. Trust God that he will judge all people in the right way. Often, forgiveness for those that have caused you the pain allows the presence of God to minister to you in a new way. There is an antidote for unforgiveness. The cross. The place where we saw the most terrible thing happen to Jesus and, and where we saw his example of forgiveness. At the cross, we find the reason why we forgive and the power to forgive. We see that in forgiveness, God is glorified. Can you think of any reason why God would not be glorified if you forgave someone because God forgave you? Then why not forgive? Forgiveness glorifies God. And I want to be a person that doesn't have unforgiveness in my heart. I want us to be a church where we guard our hearts against unforgiveness and where the presence and power of God is at work in us and through us. Living out unforgiveness is living in a way that that doesn't understand or acknowledge God's forgiveness for us. And it's living in a way that will lack God's presence. Can you see how dangerous unforgiveness is? If you have unforgiveness with anyone, get right with them. If there's someone in your family you need to forgive, a son, a daughter, your mother, a father, a brother, a sister, get right with them. We need to be people of forgiveness because of what Jesus did for us, we can do for others and there's no one that needs to leave with unforgiveness on their heart today and I wouldn't mind if we stayed and prayed till midnight with you to get rid of all of the unforgiveness in our lives it may be that you just feel you've experienced too much pain to forgive or psychologically you feel you've had too much torture to forgive and you may be living with the consequences of someone else's actions that, that continually challenge you to forgive. Jesus didn't say it was easy, but he said it was necessary and he helps us walk through that process of forgiveness. Jesus forgave from the cross without people fully knowing what they were doing and I think that's an amazing example of how to forgive someone for something in the past. They don't need to know you've forgiven them. They need to experience your forgiveness. You need to experience the freedom of living without the heavy burden of unforgiveness. Remember, the presence and power of God through forgiveness. It'll free you up and those you've forgiven. Let the power of God be at work in you and through you. Don't hinder the work of the Spirit through unforgiveness. It may be that you know you need to ask for forgiveness from others. If you know you've wronged someone, then call it out of yourself. Find them. Say sorry. At least try for reconciliation. Leave 
their forgiveness up to them, but try. If they don't know Jesus, then realize they may not have the strength or understanding on why they should forgive. It's not easy. Remember the cross, the biggest display of forgiveness in the world, ushered in the very presence of God into people's lives. You forgiving because you've forgiven, uh, you've been forgiven, will usher in the very presence of God into your life and other people's lives in a new way. I'm going to finish. Friends, one day we're all going to be standing in front of our Creator. This holy God, who the Bible says will judge us. We've seen that this holy God has forgiveness on his heart. How he doesn't want any to perish. Jesus makes it so clear that he's offered forgiveness from the cross. And and evidence for us living in the forgiveness he offers is that we forgive others. But we've read together some tough but real words from Jesus. That if we don't forgive others, then how can God forgive us? We've heard symptoms of hidden unforgiveness and uh, I think they need dealing with. Why not today? Mm, They're a burden to carry. They sap you of God's life (laughs) in, in your life. They dishonor God. Will you release them today? Like that guy on the mat... Uh, that, that I read about at the beginning? Are you, are you willing to do what it takes to get into the presence of Jesus in faith that he can heal? I think we all know that we're called to forgive. I believe Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven now, get up and walk. He's calling us to action, uh, to live as uh, forgiven and forgiving people who stand in the presence of God, filled with the power of God, Let's see what God can do in us and through us when we truly live in this way, shall we? Let's experience more of the presence of God in our lives and others' lives. Let's see his glory fall as we lay down our unforgiveness and live in the reality of his forgiveness, his presence and his power. It's for his name's sake. It's for his kingdom. It's for his glory that we have been forgiven and that we forgive. Let's reset our attitude on forgiveness today, shall we? Amen.